Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Not just on Talk Radio, of course. You can watch us live now on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. We are live streaming. And of course, this morning, there is only really one story in town. And it is, of course, the coronavirus. It doesn't appear to be going anywhere and we are still really none the wiser. But here's a few questions for you. Is it a worldwide epidemic? Is it a threat to our financial networks and world economy? Will it finish off our ability to travel from now until the end of the year? Are there any no-go areas we should know about? Uh, are our schools now all going to be shut down because people have been on skiing holidays to northern Italy? The coronavirus is front and centre of the news this morning. At schools are closing up and down the country. Hotels are shutting down uh, in the middle of the Mediterranean. Uh, there's one shutting down in Tenerife. Thousands of people are in quarantine all over the world. And now even the Iranian deputy health minister has been diagnosed with it. Our own foreign office is now warning against all but essential travel to 11 affected towns in northern Italy. And a Six Nations game between Ireland and Italy might even be called off this weekend. We're also hearing that the Euros might be called off during the summer. We've so far been told the Olympics will go ahead. And as if all of that wasn't bad enough, a government memo predicting a worst case scenario says 80% of the country could be infected by the time uh, we're all finished with it and 500,000 people could die. I'll just say that again. 500,000 people could die. That is the uh, population of a pretty large city. It's half a million people. I mean, for heaven's sake, Remainers will be terrified with this doomsday scenario because, of course, it's like Operation Yellowhammer all over again. What is the point of the government saying, on the one hand, please don't panic, there's nothing to worry about, just wash your hands quite a lot, but on the other hand, worst case scenario, half a million of you are going to drop dead. Brilliant. Isn't it time we all got a bit of perspective? 0344 499 1000 is the number. We want to hear from you on this because the voices of common sense need to be heard here. There's all sorts of lockdowns being reported. The front pages of the papers in Scotland are warning that Scotland is going to be on lockdown altogether and people won't be allowed to travel in and out of the country. You know, before you know what's going on, there'll be people stockpiling again, just like they did before the end of January because they thought Brexit was going to lead to all sorts of calamities. Why are we living in this kind of world where everybody's telling us how bad things are going to get. 
instead of being told how good things are going to get. We've got a massive show for you today. We're talking European trade deals. The European Union seems to be under the impression that we haven't actually left yet, given Michel Barnier's aggressive demands over access to our fishing waters. We'll be talking to French politician Charles-Henri Gallois on The View from the other side of the channel. And former Brexit Party MEP Alex Phillips joins us as well for Prime Minister's Questions. And she, of course, joined me yesterday uh, on Plank of the Week, and we'll be talking about who uh, got the number one nomination for that. 03444991000. Also, Dawn Neeson is here, former editor of the Daily Star. She's going to give us her take on the return to the UK uh, of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. That's right, the world's most unpopular couple have come back uh, for their final hurrah as bona fide members of the royal family. And they're looking pretty miserable so far as well. You're listening to me and watching me right here on YouTube, Mike Graham. I'm here in the Independent Republic, and this is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, as many of you will have noticed, uh, there is such a thing as the coronavirus. It started in a place called Wuhan in China that very few people had ever heard of. Uh, it soon kind of spread to other parts of Southeast Asia. It then suddenly started to spread to Europe. It then started to spread to the UK. It then started to spread to cruise ships. It then started to spread to hotels. It's now spread to schools in this country. We've got a situation where several schools, all of whom sent their children off to uh, skiing holidays in northern Italy, uh, which was something I didn't know they really did. It turns out... Uh, my own children's school went there as well. My kids didn't go. However, uh, there is, of course, a situation where lots of people uh, are having uh, their children return to them, which must be a bit of a nightmare uh, if you're trying to go out to work and your kids have been told to self-isolate at home. If you're in that position and you're in that situation, I would love to hear from you. 03444991000. Ever since this story has been around, I have always questioned the sort of veracity of giving out, on the one hand, a message that everything is fine and that nobody should panic. And then, on the other hand, a government memo is out saying that half a million people could die. Let's get some perspective on this. Let's talk to Dr David Lloyd, uh, who's a North London GP. David, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much for well, joining us. Are you noticing any difference in your in your day-to-day -day work? Well, it all kicked off yesterday because, as you say, everybody arrived back from half-term from the ski holidays in northern Italy. So, yes, yes we're, we've got a small change, yes. I must admit, I had no idea so many schools went to the same part of Italy for their skiing holidays half-term. I, quite... I, learned, I, I learned to ski in northern Italy, so it's, it's, a very, it's a very good place to learn. I'm, I'm sure it is. I mean, I went on a skiing holiday, as I was saying, many years ago, more years ago than I cared to remember when I was at school. Yeah, I think too. I was about 13 yeah. or 14. I went to a place called Adelboden, which I think was in Austria. Oh, yeah, um, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, I also discovered, um, even though I didn't actually think about it, but it was, it was probably a memo that went around, my own children's school also went there, and that's in Sussex, um, and they They've done. Yeah. They've put out a, a letter, basically, to parents saying, "Look, we have taken the advice of Public Health England, um, and therefore, presumably, they've sent home the kids who were out on, on on that particular holiday." So, what have you what have you noticed? Well, I think that the, I, I I said the other day, and I've regretted it ever since. But there is a we have a one advantage over a lot of countries, and that we do have a semblance of a telephone line that gives help to patients. So yes. we have the one 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 helpline. So people who ring that can be isolated and swabbed and don't need to come near people or come near institutions like A&Es and mm. GP surgeries where if we all catch it and have to stop work for two weeks, we'll bring about slight chaos in the health service. So well, that is the problem, isn't it? Because presumably, I mean, I don't know what the, what the sort of the structure is of, of, of the way it all works, but if somebody does call that number, who, you know, who then goes to check on them? So what's happening in northwest London, we have pe people in a special team. They get gowned up in spacesuits and they go around and they swab them at home. 
so that they they aren't spreading the virus about, and then we, we can take it from there. Yeah. So 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 what you're saying is is that I could be sitting happily in my house one day watching the, this morning or watching talk radio on TV, yeah. and suddenly this van turns up, people get out of it dressed in the sort of uh, you know the, the the hazmat suits and go next door. Yeah, that's exactly I mean, right. That's... I, I used to do it during the swine. Really? Too. I did it myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I could imagine some people would get quite worried if they saw that. Well, I, I, I mean, I think that's it. It's, it's getting the mix right, isn't it? You, you quoted the numbers. I made it six hundred thousand dying rather than five hundred thousand. Oh, really? Dying, okay. But, but it's, uh, it's, the, it's the same number. It's as deadly as flu, uh, and so, and flu kills about two percent of the population who get it. And hmm. the trouble is that. None of us have come into contact with this virus before, so the figures say that 60% of us will get it. So if you multiply 60% by 50 million by 2%, you get 600,000. Right. But unfortunately, uh, that, again, is something I'm not sure the government is wise to put out. And I, I'm not, again, sure how that leak came about and how it got into the newspapers, but it's a Public Health England memo, it would seem. Mm. Um, and so, obviously, you have, to, you have to give it some credibility. But, but for, yeah. as I said earlier, it's a bit like oh, the Operation Yellowhammer thing that came out about Brexit. You know, it's a worst-case yeah. scenario. But yeah. I think sometimes the public are not quite, you know, sort of aware of what that means. Well, it's the the the, the six hundred thousand. I mean, if you, how it, the people who are going to die in this pandemic are going to be the people that are over sixty five with other diseases. They're the ones that that suffer, unfortunately, doing a flu epidemic. It seems that this virus is very good to children, so everybody worries about children. But apparently, the children sail through this virus and have no problems. Yeah, you, young adults are going to get a flu like illness and fully recover. Yeah, it's going to be the ones who've got chest problems in the past that are going to be the ones that we have to watch out for. Sure. And uh, that can happen at any age as well, can't it? Because I think, I'm, I think I'm right in saying that the latest casualty that we've seen, the first person in France who's actually French has died um, today, yeah. uh, who was yeah. only 60. Yes, well, and don't forget that the, there's tragic doctors in uh, in China who died, and one of them was 34. So yes. you, 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 you're, you know, it is, that's frightening. But it, on the other hand, it's it's... It is a virus. It is a, like a flu virus, and so most of us are going to get over it and get get through it. It is difficult to know what to do, though, isn't it, as an ordinary member of the public? Because, for example, in big cities like London and Manchester yeah. and probably Glasgow, yeah. Liverpool, people are travelling cheek by, dow by jowl on public transport, trying to get to work yeah. every day, yeah. increasing yeah. presumably their risk of infection. Um, yeah. what, what would your advice be to them? Well, I think, we're, I mean, there are two phases to this. We're in the so-called containment phase at the moment where we're trying really it's hard. It's not going very well, though, is it, the containment <laughs> phase? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's going everywhere. Not, I can't possibly comment. But anyway, that's the plan. Yeah. And I guess that if we can get through winter, because you heard today how stretched our A&E departments are and things, if we can just delay the epidemic until all the other viruses are out of the way, then that might give us a chance to to keep people alive better. Yes. Um, but so you see, you say that with such calmness in your voice that, you know, you're talking about keeping people alive. I'm looking at the, the front page of the Scottish Daily Mail uh, that was sent yeah. to me, uh, and it says, uh -huh. Scotland faces virus lockdown. GPs told to shut suspected coronavirus patients in isolated rooms. Medical yeah. chief warns of ban on sports events and concerts. Dozens yeah. of Scots quarantined in a Tenerife hotel. Yeah. All of which yeah. is true. Um, you know, yeah. you might say it's 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 a, it's it's a bit sort of panicky, and it's and it's causing people to be more worried than they should be. But I mean, that's actually the truth, isn't it? Well, I, I think I think it's worth having a go at it, because look what look look what's happened in China. They, they had an awful lot of bother, and they and they've really succeeded. The numbers in China are coming down mm. now, 
because of those draconian isolation measures that they, they, they put onto the cities. Yes. And they've done, and they, they are bringing the numbers down. So there's evidence that being draconian in terms of, of, of isolation is a, it does work. Yes. And so we, we ought to give that a go first before we say, oh, no, let's all get it and just deal with the deaths later. Right. So, I mean, is there anything that you guys get in terms of a communique from the government that we don't see? I mean, I'm not asking you to betray any confidences. But no, I mean, I, no at every, well, I can give you the address. No, every day at two o'clock, the Department of Health upgrades the, the, the advice website, and I'm sure that's the one you've got as well. Yes. And, uh, and then occasionally we get another, another little bit of, of stuff. But I think that, for instance, the stuff about masks and isolation is changing every day. Everybody sees people walking around in masks, but do they really protect? I, th I think the answer is probably no. But we can do things to make sure we're not spreading the virus. Wash our hands more frequently, don't touch our noses. Mm. You know, and how uh, can you measure and how can you judge, for example, whether it's either getting worse or you're sort of hitting a plateau? How can you do that? Well, one of the in interesting things that the Department of Health have done started yesterday is they're actually going to start randomly sampling people with flu-like illness around the country. So I haven't read of this being done in any other part of the world. Mm. So they're going to, there are lots of GPs and hospitals around the country who are used to swabbing people with flu-like illness just to monitor the, if you like, the background infections going around. And we get a weekly update if you want to watch it and it shows you that. And so they're actually going to start testing for coronavirus in the um, in the in the uh, in is that the your coronavirus? Uh, is that your coronavirus alert going off there? <laughs> no, it's not. It's people. <laughs> Another case has emerged. <laughs> but, this, but you know, it is. It's a sort of surreal conversation. I, I've had many of these conversations as, as I'm having with you, oh, with with many doctors and medical experts. And well, it's, you see, that you've got to what don't forget that doctors rather like treating sick people. So you've got to be careful when you're talking to us. Because we get sort of mildly excited about these sorts of things. <laughs> it's a bit like John Bon Jovi coming into talk radio, as he just did. But, I mean, so, as far as um, your general advice goes, because there's talk of a, a Six Nations game between Ireland and Italy being cancelled yeah. at the weekend. Yeah. Some yeah. people keep... I mean, I, I keep being asked by people, is it a good idea to go abroad? You know, if you're going away for the weekend... Are you risking getting stuck wherever you're going? You know, I mean, people are in Tenerife, people are in the Canary Islands, you know. Well, I think that, yes, I think you do risk it because you ring 111 and they'll say, you know, go to your house for two weeks. And that's the problem. Yeah. The disruption that's going to be caused by the isolation orders. You know, if your child is sent home from school for two weeks, that means you've got to take two weeks off work to look after your child. Well, that's another problem, isn't it, for a lot of people? Yes, that, I mean, that is, that's going to cause the most disruption. It's just people in isolation, not ill, unable to do their job. So maybe this is going to hasten homeworking. We should all be talking on the phone more, using Skype more. We're going to be, an awful lot of stuff is going to be done at home, which I suppose is an advantage in this modern world yeah. compared to, you know, 2009 during swine flu. Mm. We have got more developed IT systems so that more stuff can be done at home. Um, and, it, and then it'll be the, the you know, the, the, the delivery drivers and the, and the Uber Uber all Uber drivers that are delivering all our food, they're going to be the ones that get it rather than us. I yes, absolutely right. Well, listen, I'm sure we'll be in touch again, um, Dr. David <laughs> Lloyd. Thank you very much indeed, North London GP. The, the facts of the matter are these. Yes, 
there is a virus which is going around the world at quite a rapid rate. Yes, people are dying. I mean, I've got a list here uh, of the numbers of countries which are now infected, and let me give them to you uh, just because I can. China, South Korea, Italy, Japan, Iran, Singapore, Hong Kong, USA, Thailand, Taiwan, Bahrain, Australia, Malaysia, Germany, Vietnam, France, the United Kingdom, the United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, Canada, Macau, Spain, Iraq, Oman, Philippines, India, Austria, Croatia, Israel, Russia, Afghanistan, Algeria, Belgium, Cambodia, Egypt, Finland, Lebanon, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Sweden, Switzerland and Brazil. It might have been easy to read out a list of countries that don't have the coronavirus, in fact. But uh, let me hear from you, because if you've been told to look after your kids, that they've been sent home, you have to take two weeks off to keep them in isolation, you know, that must be a bit of a nightmare. What are you being told by your employers? What are you being told by your travel agent? What are you being told by your travel company, by your airline? We need to know what is being said out there, because we need to get to grips with this and not panic, right? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We've got Prime Minister's questions coming up in about 15 minutes' time because it will be the first time, excitingly, for all of you and us as well, uh, that we've seen Boris Johnson since about two weeks ago when the last Prime Minister's questions took place because, of course, Parliament has been in recess. He's been under a lot of pressure uh, from various points to say that he should be showing his face in the flooded areas of this country, which he hasn't done. Uh, so we'll be interested to see what he, uh, what he looks like. Apart from anything else, has he grown a beard? You know, has he changed his hairstyle? Uh, is he wearing different clothes? We shall see. We'll bring you all of that live, though, as it happens, uh, in the company of Alex Phillips. We're going to talk to you uh, very shortly on the phones as well. But first, let's have a listen to Alex Phillips, uh, the former Brexit Party MEP. She was, of course, with us yesterday uh, filming Plank of the Week. Uh, and it starts with her talking about Yorkshire tea. Oh, this is a brilliant one. It's got to win, surely. <laughs> All of those lunatics who have now refused to buy Yorkshire tea oh, yes. because oh, Rishi Sunak yes. took a photo yes. with Yorkshire yes. tea. Unbelievable. I mean, if they're that woke, why are they drinking tea anyway? Because surely tea is the product that made the British Empire great. Do you know it's why? It's rooted yes. in you cultural appropriation. You know it's rooted in slavery. Because it's rooted in... property is theft. Exactly! That's the voice of Jerry Hayes, the barrister, who disgracefully managed to get that in. Property uh, is a theft. Very good. Let's go to the phones. Mark is in Hailsham. Hello, Mark. Hello, Mike. How are you? Um, listening to your views on Harry and Meghan, two <laughs> of the most irritating people on the planet, I couldn't agree with you more. Yes. It's very interesting. This morning, he apparently told people to call him Harry. Yes. Well, the reason I phoned is... I'd love you to organise a poll of the residents of Sussex. Mm. I've been a long-standing resident of Sussex. Yes, I know Hailsham very well. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. Yeah, it's, an, it's a nice little place, very convenient. Yes. And uh, uh, I'd be interested to know a poll of uh, residents of Sussex to see whether they want uh, our county's name sullied by associating yes. with... This narcissistic pair. Well, it's a very good point. I've said this many times. You know, I've got a, 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 a house in Sussex where I go every weekend, and we have always been firmly of the belief there is only one Duke of Sussex, and it's our Labrador, and that's what we're <laughs> going to call him. You know, from, from this, and he's I'm far sure he better. The he's title, far yeah. better behaved than Prince Harry is. I have to tell you, <laughs> it's not hard. <laughs> yes, but I like the idea. I think we may well do a poll of the people in Sussex, Mark. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Mike. Please do. Thanks. Bye. Thank bye. you. Let's talk to Mike, who's in York. Hello, Mister uh, Mister Mike. How are you? 
<laughs> Could be a Friday one, that. Well, you know, I, if you don't want to, you know, you might say to me, just call me Mike, or, you know, just call me Harry. <laughs> or, you know, I call you Mr Mike, it gives you a certain status. Yeah. Um, I'd like to talk about the uh, the EU, but first of all, can I just mention the Langley Witches? The Langley Witches? Have you heard of them? I haven't, actually, no. You Who are they? Know. OK. Uh, in the 1980s, a young child had a very good imagination. Right. So these uh, social workers thought he was under the spell of Langley Witches. Oh, right. I think I do remember something about this, actually. So what they did is they removed a load of children. This is in the 1980s, not yes. the 1800s. Right. They removed a load of children with the cooperation of the police, yeah. put them into care where they were abused. And where was this going on? They, this is Langley. So it's a... a, a a council estate. Was, there not, was there not a similar case up in the Orkneys or something as well? Correct. Yes, Correct. I remember the Orkneys one particularly. Yeah, well, I know one of the people who were uh, suffered there. OK. Um, you know, so that was in the 1980s. Mm. Now, I know they've dismissed the conspiracy theory around Parliament with uh, VIPs. Yes. But, but at the end of the day, the Langley Witches, if anybody's listening, read up on it. And you'll have to sit back and just, well, not believe it. Yeah. It's, but it's true. It's absolutely true that in 1980, somebody could accuse kids of being witches. But so, but the, but, the but, but the point of the, of the story you're explaining is that these people um, were faking the fact that there were witches in order to take these kids into care and then deliberately um, abuse them? Or, or was that just an unfortunate happening afterwards? There's a lot of people that we've already named, Cyril Smith. Uh, Rochdale's not got a good name for uh, child protection. No, it hasn't. You know, those um, social workers continued in their profession years after. Yeah. Um, yeah, but what I'm saying is there's a difference between, you know, um, kids being removed from their homes and put in care if that's because they genuinely felt there was something wrong or and they made a mistake or if it wasn't a mistake and they were deliberately removing them in order to put them in a place where they would be easy prey. Well, you know what I mean? if, if, a if a child kind of with an overactive imagination yeah. says I've been dancing on the, what would be out bets on the tops, on yeah. the moors, right. in the nude, dancing round a fire, mm. I mean, you get... It does stretch anybody else's imagination that's an adult. Oh, no, it does. But my point is about the kind of, you know, the responsibility and the reprehensible nature of what happened and whether, you know, it was done all as one thing or whether the second part happened as a kind of result of the first part. Do you know what I'm saying? I do, but what I'm asking is why don't we have an investigation and then find out all the facts? Yes, I, I wouldn't be against that. I wouldn't be against that. Now, talk to me about EU fishing because we're running out of time. OK. Uh, uh, Barnier goes on about uh, environment and, and in, in quality and things like that. Well, I watched RT this morning, uh, Russia Today, and apparently the Belgians are going over into France and fly-tipping rubbish. Are they? That, <laughs> yeah. So that's Why? an environmental problem. That, um, <laughs> I mean, I Because some... they can. Because <laughs> they can. Right. <laughs> And the second thing is, is food. Once we get uh, come out of the EU, we can do our own food sampling and our own quality checks. And whilst a lot of these people like Batters and FU complain about uh, farming, yeah. once we get the results of those, I think chlorinated chicken is the worst of our problems because 
Spain, for instance, irradiates food like there's no tomorrow. Mm. Well, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of food stuff. coming here from the EU, which is, you know, uh, got chlorine-assisted cleaning in it. Yeah, there is. But the other thing is, and this is why I worry about dementia and all the other kind of diseases that's kind of popped up just recently, yeah. is the number of times you must have eaten things you thought that tastes of nothing. Well, how many times do they irradiate it so that it can pass on the shelves? Yes, well, I mean... It's a very, it's a very good question. But listen, funnily enough, we'll come back to the food conversation, I'm sure, in the future, because there's lots of things I've got to say about that. Because I buy, for example, if I buy organic meat from the farm shop down in Sussex, where I go from time to time, it stays fresh a lot longer than the stuff that you can buy in any supermarket. Let's talk to Cornelius, who's in Swansea. Hello, Cornelius. Mike, how are you? Good, sir. What can I do for you? Well, um, I was listening to the, uh, the news and the bulletins going on about the coronavirus, mm. and... Um, my daughter, I tried to talk out of uh, talk her out of going on vacation because right. they have now only last week, uh, the weekend, I drove them to Luton Airport, right. and they've flown to Tenerife, uh-huh. and they're in the hotel next to the hotel oh, where they got a shutdown. And then my concern was because I was listening to your program this morning, talking to a GP from London. It's my my granddaughter. It's the first holiday they've had since my granddaughter was born, and she's eighteen months old. And of course, my daughter's bloody panicking more right. more so to do with my granddaughter because obviously her immune her immune system isn't as strong as an adult. You right. know what I mean? If this virus and what are they being around. what are they being told in Tenerife? Well, my daughter's in a hotel which is close by, not not adjacent to it or anything, but uh, they got freedom of movement. Right. Uh, I never thought I'd like to hear that word, freedom <laughs> of movement, mind. Yes. But they do have freedom of movement in the hotel, and right. then the information they're having is uh, what we've heard on the media and the TV over here is that the hotel in question is in lockdown and nobody's allowed in or out until they've done all the testing. Right, OK. Yeah. Well, hopefully then, and when are they due to come back then? Are you supposed to pick them up on the weekend, around Saturday or Sunday? I'm not right. quite sure, to be honest, man. OK. But, um, but uh, no, there was... Uh, last time I spoke to you, I said there was a number of things on my mind I'd like to talk to you about. But I know we've got a lot of people trying to get on the show. But uh, I listened to Emily Mattis last night. Oh, with, yeah. uh, the uh, Harvey Weinstein case and listening yes. to attorney. And his Julie Hartley Brewer is in a bit of a link in my thoughts in relation to his case. Because the first time I ever listened to Julie Hartley Blue, uh, Julie Hartley Brewer, yeah. um, was about three, four years ago when she was on Question Time, mm. and there was a question from the audience on about a professional football player in Wales, Chad Evans, who got put in jail. Yes, I remember him. Right, and he was innocent. Right, and Julie Hartley Brewer was the only one on the panel of Question Time that actually read the case or something other and said and made a statement saying that she would be frightened of any young man going out on a Friday night. If they got into an altercation, they'd be in a serious situation. Because this young girl went to a hotel room with two people, yeah. had sexual intercourse with both people, but yeah. only the professional football player raped her. Yes. And yet, he got put in jail, lost his career, mm. lost his professional footballism, like everything, gone. I know, gone. And, it, and it still reverberates around him. Cornelius, you're absolutely right. We have got lots of people who want to get on. We have got lots of people to talk to. We have got lots of stuff to do. So do call us back again because there's other things I'm sure that you want to say. Coming up, uh, we're going to have Prime Minister's questions. You'll be able to watch it on our YouTube channel as well as watching us. Uh, Alex Phillips is going to be joining us as well, uh, former Brexit Party MEP. She's going to be giving us her thoughts on how Boris looks, uh, what Jeremy Corbyn says and all the rest of it as well. We'll take more of your calls. It's all coming up on Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to Talk Radio. We've got Prime Minister's questions on in the background, but uh, uh, let's have a quick listen in to see uh, whether it's a question that we need to hear about. I think it's to do with the IRA. All the assurances, all the promises, the manifesto commitment will amount to nothing more than meaningless, empty platitudes. Well, Mr Speaker, to rectify matters such as the, uh, the one to which he draws the House's attention, that this government is finally bringing in a uh, law to prevent the vexatious prosecution of our hard-working, hard-serving veterans when no new evidence has been produced. Shabon Michael. Yeah. That was a question there on, obviously, the prosecution of, uh, of, of Soldier X, which I guess is still going to go ahead, but hasn't got really quite into the proper uh, legal process yet. I'm here with Alex Phillips, former Brexit Party MEP. Um, that story, I'm sure, will run and run for a while. But let's talk a little bit about Donald Trump uh, and India, because India is a place you know well. Uh, you've been to um, several kind of political situations over there. Uh, what do you make of Donald Trump's visit and, and why is he there? Because it's quite unusual for an American president to go to India in the first place. Yeah, but it's great. I think it's fantastic. I used to live and work in India. I yeah. was, one of my first journalism jobs was working for a newspaper called The Hindu okay. over there. And yeah, before Christmas, I was over there at the invitation of Modi himself yeah. and I met the Prime Minister and I went to the disputed Jammu Kashmir region to find out what was going on there mm. as part of a fact-finding mission. Um, and I think actually America's ignored India for a long time, but India is one of the world's rising superpowers and it's an incredibly important country. People see Modi as a populist yeah. because, or a Hindu nationalist mm. is how he's often labelled because he's been quite assertive about the perceived threats from Pakistan. He's brought in this piece of legislation saying if you're a religious minority from one of the Muslim-majority countries surrounding the north of India, then you can declare amnesty in India because it's a secular society. Right. But what he's done is said, but that does not involve Muslims. In some respects, surely that makes sense. If you're saying people who are being persecuted in Muslim-majority countries who want to leave, yeah. then naturally that isn't going to involve the Muslims themselves. But it does put him in a difficult situation because legally, India isn't supposed to have a national religion. It is a secular country. In my experience of living there, and I used to live down in the very south, mm. um, in the state I lived, it was very Hindu, but the neighbouring state it was a huge mix. There were Syrian Christians, there were Jews, there were Muslims, yeah. there were um, Orthodox Hindus. And actually, as a country, India's always rubbed along very well as a secular nation. Um, and it's such a massive country that it's incredible that it can even be governed at all in some ways. I mean, one of the things that I like about India is it has fewer representatives in the, in the Congress than we have in our country, uh, in the House of Lords and the uh, House of Commons put together. They managed to govern a country with like two billion people uh, with about half the number of representatives in Parliament. Yeah, I mean, there's actually a lot more state-devolved government yeah. in India, which actually, when you look at India on a map, it's far smaller than it is in real life. Yeah. If maps were drawn to scale, India is absolutely enormous. Mm. And every single state in India is like its own country. But India is going to play an increasingly critical role. And I think that it's important, especially when it comes to foreign affairs, the fight against terrorism, when it comes to trade, it's very important that the West embraces India. And I think that Trump's been drawn to Modi because Modi's being persecuted as a populist in the same way that Trump 
Olympics. So the two find they've got some common ground yes. there. What I would like to see now, especially in post-Brexit Britain, is the UK also turning to India, because we are naturally the closest allies of India. Yes, for an awful a, lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. Yeah. As a former colony, we've got a huge amount of the Indian diaspora living in our country. And it's about time we turned around and said, you're very important to us. We want to embrace you culturally in this country. You know, curry's one of our national dishes. Yeah. But I think it's about time as well. We start opening ourselves up to the Vedic religions. Constantly we'd have, we have having conversations going on about Islam, but how much do people in the UK understand about Sikhism, Buddhism, yeah. Hinduism? Mm. And they're very important cultural Well, I see that here. some people on the left have been sort of poking around into uh, Rishi Sunak's religion and saying that he belongs to some kind of... Wasn't you know, it what Suella Braverman's? Uh, oh, was it hers? Yeah, but um, Buddhist. But I think his as well, because he's... Uh, I think he, I believe he's a Hindu. Um, but, you know, they're almost referring to them as kind of, you know, slightly odd, oddball religions. You know, this is sort of stuff that they write in The Guardian about them, of course. But it's only because they're Tories that they're even looking at them. In the well, first place. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it's not a trendy religion, no. is it? You know, this isn't a religion that people around the world feel that they need to sort of protect mm. and, you know, constantly come out and say, well, we, you know, all Hindus are great and it's a religion of peace and all the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating religion. I consider myself a Hindu, yeah. actually. Right. I, I, I've been a non-beef eater and practising Hinduism, believe mm. it or not, for 15 years. Okay. And it's a, a fascinating collection of philosophies and I think we could learn a lot in the West yeah. um, from those cultures. Well, there's much to talk about. Um, I'm sure uh, we'll be doing this again some soon because uh, unfortunately uh, we've come to the end uh, practically of, of our coverage of Prime Minister's questions because we've got lots more to do. Uh, coming up we're going to be talking to LaDonna Harvey over in the US of A. We'll get her view uh, on the Trump visit to India and on uh, the fallout from Harvey Weinstein and uh, from yet another democratic debate which didn't go terribly well I have to say. Alex, thank you very much indeed. We'll see you soon. Uh, Alex Phillips, former MEP for the Brexit Party. Uh, she'll be back here I'm sure on Talk Radio very shortly. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Prime Minister's questions has been uh, been and gone. Uh, Matt Hancock is now making a statement probably about the coronavirus problem, uh, which we will uh, check in with a little bit later on if he says anything untoward or particularly exciting. However, I'm delighted to say we're now joined live in the studio by John Burton Arace, a man uh, who is described as the man, the magic and the mayhem. I must admit, sitting opposite you, John, you don't look particularly mayhem um, infested, if I may say so. But well, welcome. no, but I wa I've left my cloak at home. <laughs> well, the great thing about having a life as you have had, uh, which has been very colourful and at yeah. times I'm sure quite alarming, yeah. um, is that uh, you don't, you're not like that all the time, are you? You have sort of very many facets of, of what it is that you do. Um, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm a dad, again, and um, my son, 15, he's really good and into his rugby, and I'm a, I love rugby. It's like a religion to yes. me. And, uh, yeah, you know, I live on a little crumbly farm in Devon. Chickens, guinea fowl, dogs. Yeah. And I love my fishing. Um, yeah, it's not all mayhem. No, it doesn't sound terribly uh, like that. But you've yeah. also been awarded Michelin stars in, yeah. in, your, in, your, in your work in, in various kitchens. The Landmark Hotel, you were associated, I think, with the Manoir of Quatre Saison. Yes, yeah, so uh, I, is... I was uh, Raymond... Uh, Rimmer Blanc's head chef for about three and a half years. Okay, fantastic. I think I had um, I had Michelle Blanc, I think, in um, recently, uh, the one who's now running the uh, the new restaurant in Westminster. Uh, Michelle, no, sorry, it was no, Michelle Rue. Michelle Rue. Michelle Rue. Michelle Rue Junior. Yes, because there's a Michelle Rue. There's a Michelle Rue Senior. Michelle Rue Junior, who I love, and he has the Waterside Inn at Bray. Yes, that's right. And and the, sh the business of being a chef has become really massive, hasn't it? Because you guys yeah. are sort of like superstars now. Well. 
Mm, probably. I mean, I think it's calming down, thank goodness. You know, it's no longer, you know, what toothpaste does Marco Pio I use? I mean, right. It's more... I think it's like a lot of things. We were our own worst enemies in, in some respects because we were basically show-offs, basically bonkers mm. and driven. Egomaniacs. Total. Yeah. And, um, and when you're a British chef going back 20 years, uh, you've got a lot to prove. Yeah. Because you're always told that we're really bad cooks. We don't know what we're talking about when it comes to food. And I'm happy to say there's been a sort of reversal of that. It totally has. I mean, I went away from this country to live in America back in the 80s, and when I left London, it was not what you might describe as a, a sort of a home of, of great gastronomy. gastronomy yeah. um, and I found New York then to be fascinating, because every, every, on every street there was a great restaurant, and, you know, if you didn't do well, yeah, you were closing I, New down. New York's amazing, actually. It really is, yeah. But then, um, you know, ever since I've, I've been back, and I, I've been back 20-odd years, um, you know, Borough Market, which is across the road there, is one of the most fabulous places, I think, in the world for food. You know, there are some great restaurants now. Yeah, I'm going to do a pop up there in a few weeks. Oh, later. are you? Yeah. Oh, I'll have to pop over there because I was I was actually there yesterday. I was at the Robot, you know, the uh, the chocolate restaurant, which does some very interesting things yeah. with chocolate. You yeah. know, um, which you wouldn't really believe they could do. They had a, a dip with um, uh, chocolate and balsamic vinegar yeah. for the bread, which was beautiful, really good. Yeah, no. Um, and there's just so much now on offer here. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely fabulous. I mean, we, I, I think, especially London, it's probably. I'd say London and maybe Singapore, the the gastronomic places to eat. Yes. And we've got, we've got more than anyone else, especially in France, you, we've got the variety. So we can eat well mm. with whatever food. Right. Do you know, we've got lovely, lovely Indian restaurants, Chinese restaurants, Korean restaurants, Vietnamese restaurants, Italian restaurants in London are superb. So we're very lucky. Are you one of those chefs that sort of chooses and picks from different cultures, as it were? What's your kind of... What's, well, what, how would you describe your, your cuisine? That's a good question, because I was born and brought up in the Far East. Yeah, in Singapore, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but I've lived in, like, Malaysia, Indonesia, and um, places like... And Thailand, I went to school when I was, like, 10 or 11 there right. for a few years. And so I love all that. In mm. fact, I've just... Um, I've got a job in Vietnam, and... Um, Vietnamese food is amazing, isn't it? And that's you know, something I only relatively recently discovered. Also, nobody knows it. Mm. it I think, you know, Cambodia and um, Viet, um, Viet, uh, Vietnam are treasures yeah. when it comes to food. It's so perfumed. Everyone knows the qualities of Thai food, and I'm not knocking Thai food right. at all. But I think Vietnamese mm. food is absolutely amazing. Yeah, so there's, again, a lot of Vietnamese places in London now. That, yeah, it's, that well, they're starting, aren't they? Yeah. It's, it's not all that common, but there are areas yeah. of family-run businesses which um, are fabulous. Mm. You know. So can you, as a chef, kind of cherry-pick things from their cuisine, as it were, to use Yeah, so basically, um, so I've been in Vietnam now for 18 months, and I've been... What I have to do is a European version of what I would do if I was in France, but using their ingredients. Mm. And at the same time, that influence of Vietnamese food gets into my food. Right. And hopefully it's better. Yes. So, And I like to do that sort of, not fusion, mm. but it is fused with what's available. Because the most important thing, wherever you are in the world, when you're cooking, is ingredients. Yeah. And if you get it fresh, and it's ripe, and it's ready, not only is it cheaper... But it's more flavoursome. Yes. So that's, 
you know. Well, well I was actually. saying as well because I do quite a lot of shopping over there, and it, some it can be expensive. But if you go buy vegetables from Borough Market, there's a couple of stalls there. They're absolutely you know rock bottom no, prices. That's a great any... example. Borough Market is absolutely yeah. fantastic. And there's a couple of places where I can buy. You know, there's farm shops down in Sussex where I am sometimes, and and you know the the, the organic meat that you buy lasts so much longer. You keep it in the fridge for longer yeah, than any of the stuff you buy in a supermarket. Absolutely, it's you know? not wrapped up in loads of plastic. No, no, yeah. exactly right. And so as far as your mayhem days, I mean, you know, describe some oh, no, of those. So to I've me. had some moments, apparently. Mad moments? Uh, genuinely? Yeah, yeah, genuinely mad moments. I probably suffered fool I didn't suffer fools gladly. I was on a mission. I probably put my job and to some extent still do before anything else in my life. And yeah. that's an awful thing to say, you know, if my son was hearing, he would, you know, have a go at me. But But I think a lot of successful people do that, don't they? It, it's just I know it's terribly corny nowadays, but I absolutely love my work. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, involved involved in, I'm, I'm getting no older, but I'm yeah. still inspired and excited and I'm still learning about food every right. day. Of course. So because, you know Because if you weren't you. you would be appallingly sort of boring and dull and yeah. nobody would want to talk to you. Yeah, no. If you thought I, you knew everything. Some people in the old days didn't want to talk to me at all anyway, but... <laughs> was there a drinking aspect to it? Because a lot of chefs say that uh, um, it's very difficult not to drink copious amounts. I had amounts. drinking moments, but I, won't, I didn't have a drinking habit. Right. And I never touched drugs, but... Um, and some chefs did and do. But um, I was just looking back. I, it's funny, funny, this book that's coming out... That's right, opened everything up to me. And yeah. it, it, actually, sometimes it's a bit like, oh, my God, really? <laughs> do you, also, do like, you want to share it? Well, it's, yeah, but it's a bit like... Well, I tell you the truth. Lots of people have come to me and asked if they could write my biography, right. autobiography. And I said, absolutely, no, get stuff, because I'm not dead yet. You right. can do it when I'm dead. And um, then I met this guy. He's a really lovely man. He spent two years being tippy-toeing around the idea investigating, he must have spent a bloody fortune because I've worked and lived all mm. over the world. So, And he's a fabulous thing. And then, you know, a few things, clippings out of old newspapers that got in there and I th and it made me feel, you know... It's a bit like my cooking. You know, I sometimes, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I cooked something and I used to think it was the cat's whiskers. Mm. You get it out of the drawer now or the bureau and have a look at it and you're embarrassed, that's not my food, and you put it away, because it's a progression. Yes. And, you know, I, yeah, I was, I was mad, I was young, I was crazy. I was finding my way, in, you know, in a very hard environment. I mean, when, you know, I lived upstairs because I couldn't live anywhere else, everything, Penny, I sold my car, I borrowed, I had shareholders, but everything depended on me. Mm. And at the same time... And you I, had to keep coming up with new things, presumably. Yeah, but that's the thing. And chefs are probably, not all chefs, I've met some that are very good businessmen, but chefs are just blinkered yeah. to producing the best plate of food and sod the price. Yeah. But, and I think I was guilty of that in some sense. But you learn the hard way, like everything in life. You know, if you speed in your car, you're going to get nicked. Mm. You know, and if you do that, you're going to get nicked. And if you do that, you're going to get told off. And if you do that, you're going to get divorced. Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's all happened to me. And you got divorced a couple of times, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, so how's it going this time? Well, it's going all right at the moment, <laughs> I have to say. And, um, and I'm so blessed because my son, he's 15, is just doing, he's playing for Devon, he's, 
you know, he's just amazing. On the, I hope one day we'll see him. We'll see him out there. See him out there at the Six Nations. Yeah, yeah, I love the Six Nations. So and I. so, and as far as the business of cooking is concerned, mm. are you as kind of busy as you always were yeah. in terms I'm, of? I'm not focused on or, one restaurant. Right. So, so last year, for example, I worked in the Maldives mm. for the Suniva Fushi Group. Okay, and um, I've worked for Chen in Vietnam, as I said. I got an old mate Mucka in um, Guernsey, and I'm going there next week for a couple of weeks to work for his little hotel restaurant uh, in Guernsey. And so I move around. Um, I've got a job in Nice coming up. I've got this book tour. Sounds great. Well, yeah, it's I mean, it's busy. great for me yeah. because I'm doing what I love best and meeting different people, mm. seeing different ingredients, going to different markets, and it's that's another book really because. You know, you you get inspired. You, when I were, first went to Vietnam, we went fishing. That's the first thing we did because I wanted to find out what's yeah. you know what's in the water right. and see how I can adapt my recipes to that, or maybe nick a bit of theirs yes. and put a bit of mine. Right, and so that's how I did. Wonderful. Well, it's great to meet you. You're doing a tour as well, so people can find you uh, at various points. Uh, yeah, I'm going the all over England, but I've got at least two or three venues uh, and book signings and chats to do. Uh, in central London, but it's all on my website. So. Okay, johnburtonrace.co.uk. I shall come and visit you when you're over the road, and uh, perhaps I'll buy you a pint in you. Uh, the wheat sheaf. Thank you very much yeah. indeed. Uh, John Burton Race, uh, book's out coming soon, March 27th, The Man, The Magic and The Mayhem. Uh, the Mayhem here continues at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning when I come back. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.